Thanks for listening to Looking Forward Our Way. We'd like to ask a favor from you. Would you give us some feedback on our podcast? We've made it really easy to do so. Click on the link in your episode show notes. That link will take you to our podcast Google My Business page. You may have to sign in to your Google account. From there, we'd appreciate your feedback on the podcast overall, feedback on a specific episode, or a suggestion on what you'd like to see us cover in a future episode. All your feedback is so much appreciated. Your comments only help us create episodes that will keep all of us looking forward our way. So we are recording a podcast live at the uh, first annual WordBridge Now Summer Celebration of Educators. I'm Brett Johnson. I am the uh, the husband of the of uh, Dr. Angela Weimer Johnson, who owns WordBridge Now, and she's asked uh, Circle Two Seventy Media, company I own, to be here to record a podcast uh, that I co-host with Dr. Carol Ventresca called "Looking Forward Our Way." Hey, Brett, how's it going? I'm doing great. And Good. it's, this is what the second or third time we've done a live podcast. I know. We're, or at we're, least, at least on location. This one now in front of an audience, in front of speakers. So we're very happy that our guests were willing to be guinea pigs as well, too. <laughs> we're not really sure how this is going to sound, folks, but thank you for, for hanging in there with us. Damn. But no, we're, we're on the road now that we are not wearing masks exactly, and we're vaccinated. Exactly. We can be on the road. So, yeah, yeah. um, so Brett, I'm, pretty excited and as I, we were just sort of chuckling you and I have are very famous for bringing our friends onto our podcast this is networking at its best and probably abusing friendships but that that's okay that's it okay. works that's yes. okay so we're on location here in Dayton and I'm very pleased to introduce Dr. Sarah Guerrero Duby to our audience Sarah is an assistant professor of pediatrics at Wright State University and has been a pediatrician for decades working with children in Ohio. Vicki is a managing partner at CBD Advisors in Dayton, serving the healthcare community in its efforts to create sound legislative policy for our Ohio citizens. And as I said, I have my friend Sarah Guerrero Duby here. Sarah and I were in high school together, and that was just yesterday. So thank you both for joining us today. Well, thank you. Thank you for having us. Good. Well, Sarah and Vicki, uh, before we get into details of the discussion, could you give us a little bit of overview of your backgrounds, your role in pediatric care in Ohio. Let's start with Sarah. Oh, thank you very much. Um, I am um, a pediatrician. I graduated from the Ohio State University undergrad and school of medicine. Go Bucks! Go Bucks! Thank you. And um, I completed my uh, internship at Nationwide Children's. It was called Columbus Children's at that time. And then I, like a lot of women of my era, followed my man, John Duby, Dr. Duby, to uh, Houston, where we completed our pediatric residency there. I had a uh, Air Force commitment, so then my husband followed me into the Air Force for his dependent spouse role of three years and we were stationed in Massachusetts. And so um, as payback for that, John has made me move multiple times in our, <laughs> in our 40 years of marriage. And uh, we are back in Dayton. We were here originally in 90. Uh, we left in 2000 and we came back in 2015. And um, I keep changing jobs every time uh, John has a new job. And I've been in primary care for decades. And it's kind of easy to get a job as a pediatrician. 
um, because there's always a need for pediatricians. I'm currently a, uh, as Carol said, assistant professor of pediatrics at Dayton Children's Hospital. Uh, I'm a general academic pediatrician, so I provide primary care, but I also train the future pediatricians of this community, and I really love that. Uh, wording. Uh, actually, Vicki provided that to me when she said, I train the future of pediatrics, and I love that. Thank you. Exactly. But also a shout-out for Sarah because she has been literally around the world on <laughs> in doctor's programs taking care of children in areas that need pediatric care. Uh, Carol knows my secret. Um, I have done actually after my kids got old enough to be a little independent like in high school I have done multiple kind of small uh, medical mission trips and I had the opportunity to go to Kenya to Vietnam uh, annually we went to uh, Honduras and actually um, I haven't done a medical mission uh, in a different country for about a decade because I realized that the mission was actually here in the United States uh, there was a lot more that needed to be done here uh, the social determinants that have been affecting of children in, in the United States and particularly in uh, Dayton and in Ohio uh, was growing and it was massive and um, I decided to stop doing mission trips and needed to take care of the kids close to home So, and a first hand look at the difference that vaccines make Absolutely. You know, um, fortunately, um, in my career, I've seen, um, and I was going to talk about the seven greatest achievements of the last 40 years, which is how long I've been married and in medicine, um, in pediatrics and immunizations by far lead the list of the achievements that we've done for children. And we've wrapped a cocoon of protection around children with the public health efforts of car seats and smoke alarms and fire um, proof clothes and um, being able to treat leukemia. Kids don't die from uh, blood cancers anymore, uh, but also things that may be a little more remote for people to understand, but preventing HIV transmission from mothers to the babies. Um, actually, Dayton, Ohio has been the epicenter of the opioid epidemic, and I was amazed when I came back here in 2015, the number of HIV-positive mothers and their babies that I was witnessing. The babies, if mothers get treatment even late in their pregnancy, they do not transmit that virus, that deadly virus, to their babies. So that's a huge achievement in the last decade. Um, and, of course, the back to sleep, which is preventing SIDS, you know, um, sudden infant death syndrome or crib death. These are all public health measures that we've been using for 40 years, and it's been amazingly successful, and we need to continue that. So I was lucky to witness that. Sarah, thanks. I know your schedule is crazy, so thank you for joining us today. Vicki, I've, I've kind sure. of taken us a little off the path. No, here, that's but- okay. I'd love to hear Dr. Greer Doobie talk about her passion for kids, because I... I share it. I just don't get to treat them the way she does. I'm jealous. <laughs> uh, my business partner and I are uh, public policy, government relations consultants. And um, I started my career um, in sales and business development for Procter & Gamble and some corporate companies and then went to Dayton Children's and became a hospital administrator and was there for 24 years and found really my calling. Um, I have a passion for working on um child health policy and making sure that our kids are represented when policy is being made. I've never met a politician who didn't say they were for kids, but as Sarah's heard me say before, you know, I always ask who's for kids and who's just kidding because it really is about, you know, uh, and I've been an elected official. I know how hard it is. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying, 
you know, kids don't get to vote. And so we need people in the room who are talking about their needs, who understand them. And there are no better people than that than pediatricians. And I say this to my elected official friends in the General Assembly all the time. Pediatricians go to school longer to make less money over their careers. Mm -hmm. These are people who are doing God's work for our kids. And so I love to get them in front of elected officials because their passion is real. And I'm just lucky that I get to talk about it and uh, and be just a tiny part of it. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for, for joining us today. Okay, Sarah, let's get going here. Um, we can first discuss the research and implementation of COVID-19 vaccines for children under the age of 18, and we want to we want to go over that. But let's first talk about the fact that you know younger children, the situation's still a little unclear as to what's going on with the vaccine. Well, the vaccine, there are two vaccines that are approved for children uh, over 18, and I still call them children because they still you know when they come in my office, I say get your vaccine, even before it was approved for 12 and up. And there was a provisional uh, approval, but now there's a full pr- approval for 12 and up for the Pfizer vaccine. It's a two-dose vaccine. It's been very effective. And when we talk about being effective, uh, when people complain about the flu shot, you know, the flu shot probably works 50% protection every year. We're talking 95% protection with the COVID vaccine. Actually, both of them, uh, Moderna and Pfizer, have amazing totally unheard of protection vaccines. So they're very effective. And I know people were concerned about the side effects uh, that children perhaps may get. Uh, They're no different than what we've seen for the adults. They have been uh, rare, but it's the typical side effect, soreness at the site, fever, fatigue. Fatigue usually about 10 to 12 hours after getting that first dose, people will say they were exhausted. You know, they may have some temperature. And at 24 to 48 hours, bam, it stops immediately. I mean, it is your body going, whoa, look at this. I got something new that I have to recognize. Mm-hmm. They start making the antibodies. And in that 12 hours of kind of feeling lousy, they're making antibodies. And boom, it shuts off at 24, 48 hours. And people feel fine. And so uh, it's amazing for people to have consistently that reaction because it tells me that, the vaccine's working, Betty. Um, and we expect that um, by the latest January, we'll probably have a vaccine, have the vaccine approved for children uh, probably down to six months of age. So very safe and allowed thousands of doses to be able to look at the effectiveness and the type of side effects that we're seeing. Well, and I think, too, that just like with adults, there's always going to be some reaction. It's, it's never 100% effective. And it's never going to be the same with each person. And, and folks have, are taking it to, um, an nth degree of concern when there might be, what was the one when there were 23 women who had blood clots out of the millions of doses that were given? That's not to negate the 23 women who got blood clots. That's critical, but considering what the circumstances are, what the outcome could be if they didn't get the vaccine. It could have been a lot worse if they had gotten COVID. Absolutely. We tell people every year with the uh, flu vaccine, uh, 
The flu vaccine wasn't designed to keep you from not getting the flu. It keeps you from dying from the flu. And that's the same thing. We're using that same line. It sounds mean to say that to people, but literally we're telling them the COVID vaccine is keeping you from dying from COVID. Right. And I don't think of a better offer that I could make to someone. Right. Yeah. Although the anti-vax movement has been around for a long time, maybe somewhat underground, I guess you could say, but it was there. Um, the information they provide has been wrong, proven wrong in more recent scientific studies. However, it would seem that they found a new voice or platform with our goal to fight COVID-19. Uh, Vicki, are there specific situations or cases which are used in their fight against vaccines? And if so, has the science proven them wrong? Yeah, I mean, I think it's unfortunate that, um, you know, a lot of times, particularly on social media, you'll see uh you know, studies, you know, and I always say that with quotation marks cited that have proven wrong. And in fact, you know, the one that, that people talk a lot about is the researcher in England who said that vaccines caused autism and, you know, and then, you know, doctor to studies, they weren't real, he's in prison, but yet somehow, you know, that continues continues to, you know, yeah, it continues on because, you know, it gets perpetuated. I, I would say the um, vaccine opponents have really, um, you know, I like to say rebranded um, and uh, I've started this um, focus on medical freedom and really found some allies and those folks who are concerned about civil liberties. And, you know, I think when you see, um, you know, I look at a lot of studies about social media traffic and what you see in the numbers, particularly on Facebook is that that community's membership has increased dramatically over the last couple of years, really framing vaccines as an issue of values, civil rights, and medical freedom. And so, you know, I think the partisan divide, you know, over the pandemic response has given another opportunity for people to drive that wedge in there, and it sort of has reinvigorated the anti-vaccine movement really nationwide, but particularly here in Ohio, it seems like we're the center right now. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, those, those, um, opponents of vaccines saw this as an opportunity. And, um, frankly, they've, they've brought more people into the fold, really talking about, uh, you know, this fear of we're going to mandate you, or we're going to keep you from engaging in community and social activities if you haven't had a vaccine. And, you know, I think it just appeals to a new set of people that, you know, say, well, gosh, I'm for medical freedom. What does that mean exactly? And so it, it really, to me, is is not exactly truthful in, in the sense it's not. Truthful is probably not the word. It just doesn't explain what's really there. Um, and so I encourage people to dig below that, you know. And that seems to be the issue. We don't have people taking the time to dig in. Maybe we just don't have the time to do it. I get it. But. We, we just seem to see things on the fly on social media, like it, share it. Yeah, because and I, it's I think because that's it's the danger. Sa- because it says exactly the way I feel at this moment, and I didn't do any research in it. And it's scary. And I, I think I think people on you know I, I would say that people on social media have gotten really good. I mean, sometimes you see those things, and they look like they're from. You know, I've gotten them and I think, wow, you know, it looks like a real media outlet or it looks like <laughs> somebody, you know, shared it. And it when in fact, when you dig a little deeper and I always encourage people to f- follow the money, find out who paid for that, find out where it came from, because right, right. what you'll see is it may not be what you thought it is. Right. And, and we interviewed a, a news 
uh, director, you know, it's been in the news forever. And, and his quote was, and I've heard this before too, is that we kind of gravitate toward the news, the news provider that, uh, that we agree with rather yeah. than being informed. So it seems like we're just gravitating toward anything that's fed to us that, yep, I agree with that. I'm going to like that. You know, and, and then I'm the algorithm is such that you get more oh, of that. Get and fed then if that. you're bombarded that. by that, it's, it's difficult for people to be able to, particularly, you know, during COVID when you're kind of shut off from everybody. Because so. that's the reality now right. is they're being fed that all the time. It's like, well, there's nothing else out there. It's, it's hard. And yeah. I, I feel for people because I think people want good information. That's why, you know, uh, I encourage them to talk to their medical professionals. Right. right. Well, it, it's what, what I find really confusing is they've put together this fear mongering of you're going to hurt me or you're going to hurt my kid and you're going to force us to do this and, um, freedoms, which I don't necessarily agree with, but they, they, it's the same as other controls that we have going on in the country that people have different opinions as to what should and should not be legal. Right. Um, so, so they're, they're fear mongering parents to not take a vaccine when in actuality the issue that they're really trying to get at is you're stepping on my freedom. It's, it's, it's such a fine line, but it's, so, it, it, it brings in a lot of people that maybe that's really not their issue. They're just still afraid because of their kid. Yeah. I mean, I think people have, you know, I, I uh, Dr. Guerrero Doobie, uh, you know, often has talked about you got to talk to parents in the right way and address their fears. And one thing I would say is, is that, um, you know, I think people have a right to be afraid. I mean, I, you know, I think COVID, sure, I was afraid of sure. COVID. And, oh, sure. You know, I think people have that right. But I think, and you have the right to be free. You really do. But, but at what cost? So if you're a member of a community and you are a member of society, you have to, um, do certain things to be good citizens. And I always look at vaccines as what we do for each other. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was one of those pediatric cancer patients and I just turned 60. I'm the luckiest woman on earth because when I was 18, you know, I'm lucky, you know, and so I need vaccines because it protects me as somebody who has a, you know, compromised immune system. And so I feel like when somebody gets a vaccine, they're doing it for me too. And so I think that's how we have to look at it as opposed to something they're doing to me. It's something we're doing for each other. Right. And for our kids. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, we now have a legislature in Ohio and likely other states that are more than willing to listen to the anti-vaxxers as well as those who fought against Ohio's role in controlling the pandemic. I mean, we discussed a little bit our former health director who had, you know, people with guns in their front yard. Um, let's first give our audience an overview and historic look at public health roles in our lives and how vaccines have been part of that and um, how it's been saving our lives for decades. Our, our, we've gone from an average age of 40 to 50 to now an average age into the 70s, 80s, and pretty soon into the, the hundreds. Um, I certainly think that people need to remember the the public health efforts that actually probably came from the 1918 influenza pandemic that this the world, but certainly this country, saw and recommendations for masks were part of that. And it was a simple thing to do, but they realized that it was effective. That was at the very uh, beginning of trying to devise uh, 
vaccines. And uh, it was interesting. During the pandemic, I read the book about the influenza vaccine of twenty of, of uh, nineteen eighteen. Um, it was pretty heavy. Uh, I won't say boring, but it was pretty heavy, and I liked it because it did talk about all the work that went into getting a world to realize this thing called a vaccine could help them uh, be healthy. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the initial measures of cleaning, of wearing masks, uh, people knew that. Uh, cancellation of activities and closing of movie theaters and schools was needed so that you wouldn't be exposed to, to these this influenza and they really didn't know what it was this marasma of illness was what they described mm. it because they hadn't really described the viral particle at that time yet right. but um so people did it uh because they knew they had to it was right at the um, World War One was going on our young soldiers actually uh were shipped out uh, to Europe and they actually spread the influenza virus to Europe and then to the rest of the world. And But the world did the things that needed to be done, masking, cleaning, isolating, because they knew they needed to. And then finally, in, in our lifetimes and probably you know a little bit before that, when they developed vaccines and antibiotics, they were able to say, oh, this is, I remember polio, I remember influenza, right. I remember diphtheria, I remember all the things that killed my great-grandparents and my other relatives, and wow, I'm lucky enough to be able to be vaccinated against it. So the public health measures were embraced the same way car seats eventually were embraced, seat belts. People don't complain about those now. Um, materials, I think I mentioned before, materials that are uh, not flammable for children's, children's wear, especially their sleepwear. These are routine now, and everyone understands that they accept that these came as public health measures. And um, somehow or other, in the, since the measles and autism scare 20 years ago, people have embraced a lack of of trust in the vaccines because they haven't seen the diseases before. And so the young people don't remember polio. They don't remember a lot of the things that we saw routinely. Uh, My husband was talking about during the internship, uh, especially down in Houston, which is a huge community compared to Dayton or Ohio in general, where they lined up the newborn babies in, in the nursery for their spinal taps uh, because so many of these babies had meningitis. They were infected shortly after birth. And the interns now don't even know how to hardly do spinal taps because they hardly see these kids because we've eliminated a lot of these diseases that routinely killed the babies and or left them um, markedly disabled with brain damage and other significant injuries. And um, our young interns don't even see these diseases anymore. So that's why people have kind of forgotten and they kind of forgotten the responsibility to everyone else to get vaccinated. Right. I, I, the only thing I think I saw on Facebook through this whole crazy world we've had over the past year was a comment that said, the only thing that replaces good science is more good science. I and, like that. And that, I, I mean, we, we revel in computers getting better. Revel in cars getting better, revel you know, in all of these things. But why is it in medical science we're getting people are getting healthier and living longer, and yet we're questioning it? That makes makes no sense. That's a great point, Carol. Mm. So I also think it's a great point. Somebody pointed this out to me the other day, a medical practitioner who said we're very concerned about vaccines, which are ninety five percent effective, as Doctor Dubi Agrar Dubi said. 
and we're so worried about the side effects, but they take medicine that has two pages worth of side effects, two pages. You know, so a lot of us take medication to live and to, and to be healthier that has pages and pages of potential side and effects. And none of us can read it without a 10-level magnifier. But, but most of us accept it. Right. And so, I, you know, I just think it's interesting that, that, um, that we have this sort of debate when we, we accept it in other places. And I'm grateful for those drugs. And we accept the risk with those ju- drugs because of the life that it provides us. And vaccines are the same. If you're willing to take aspirin, which has side effects, what's, yeah. you know, I, I, yeah, it's just interesting, I think. It is, it is. yeah. It is. Well, House Bill 248 was introduced in the Ohio legislature to allow, uh, legislature, excuse me, to allow Ohioans to say no to vaccines, basically. However, it will have much greater repercussions than just allowing individuals to avoid the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, the new legislation is going to greatly impact how safe children will be in school, the increase in life-threatening diseases, which have been basically eradicated with vaccines uh, for both children and adults, and how we move into the future with disease prevention. Vicki, can you provide an overview of the impact HB 248 could have, will have? Sure. I, you know, it's a, it's a very broad piece of legislation as it's currently written, and it applies to any and all childhood vaccines as well as others. It really is about prohibiting mandatory vaccinations, vaccination status disclosure. So in other words, you know, all of us have rushed to the pediatrician, Sarah Gray or Doobie, you probably hate that time of year where we go, I need my child's vaccine records. It would prohibit any school, university, public entity from asking for uh, vaccine records. And um, it authorizes an individual to be able to bring a civil action if they feel like, you know, a a violation has occurred where somebody has required a vaccine and they didn't want to comply. I think for hospitals in particular and healthcare, um, it's, um, it, would prohibit employers and particularly hospitals from requiring vaccines. And so best practice in this country through the CDC joint commission on healthcare accreditation is um, for uh, healthcare workers to be vaccinated against the flu. And most hospitals make it mandatory are, there are exceptions for religious or health mm-hmm. issues um, but then if you, you exempt out of taking the vaccine, you're required to wear a mask during that flu season from the first day that they detect the flu till the end. This would prohibit both of those things. So you wouldn't be allowed as a hospital or a healthcare or any employer to mandate whether somebody gets a vaccine. And you also would not be allowed to mandate whether they wear a mask. Um, you know, it would um, prohibit an entity from maintaining a record of vaccinations for children. So, you know, let's say, God forbid, there was an outbreak in a daycare center. You may not know who's vaccinated or not, which from a public health standpoint is so, so very critical. You know, I I think the other thing that I think worries a lot of pediatric child health um, uh, folks is that when a daycare center school would notify a parent um, that their child's vaccines are required, they would also be able, they would also be required to notify that same parent with the same size font in the same way. I mean, it says that, that there, there are options for exemptions and here's what there are. And so they make it easier for people to opt out, which, 
you know, somebody would say, well, they should be able to, but sometimes people opt out for reasons other than like, I just don't have a doctor. I don't have time to take them, Mm -hmm. you know, and we want to make sure that people understand there's a lot of people who get their kids vaccinated because they need to for school and that's okay. You know, so that's really what this bill does. You realize if this passes, there's more strict regulations for me to put our dog into the kennel. That's right. For overnight stay, because he must be vaccinated for rabies and and, uh, influenza. Otherwise, he cannot stay there. And you have That's to have a, proof of that. And you have to have proof of that. Right. So, and just it, think if, if he wasn't required to have rabies and suddenly we had a flock of animals around the country who were biting children right. or biting anybody yeah. with rabies. A, I mean, we've gotten rid of those diseases. Right. So this, this bill seems extreme. What's the end game? If you can, if you can speculate, I guess you could say, but what are they really wanting to do? You know, I, I think the, um, you know, first I would say elected officials in the general assembly need to listen to everybody. You know, I mean, that's For the sure. beauty of it is yes. that you hear people from all sides, right. you know, and, and, you know, people who introduced legislation were elected by their community to do so. And, so I think we have to give them that respect. I, you know, I, I feel very strongly about that, and, and I think we have to give them their respect. I think there are, again, some thoughts about civil liberties um, that drove people to this. And sometimes when legislation is written, it's, it's not necessarily always about what you do. There are a lot of unintended consequences. Right. And so I worry about two things. One is this is very broad, and... You know, I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not in their head, but I would wonder if they realized what doors this would open. I, I don't know. Um, the second thing I would say is, is that even if you strip out a few of these things, it's still very concerning. You know, hospitals have to be able to do, doctors need to be able to do what they need to do to keep us safe. And I loved what you said about, you know, why isn't it okay if science is still learning? What we learned at the be- what we knew at the beginning mm-hmm. of the pandemic, right. to what we know today, eighteen months later, is like I don't oh, know, Dr. Guerrero Duby. It's huge. Dark ages to light ages, right? Almost, isn't oh, it? Yeah. absolutely. And when we talk about, I know uh, sometimes people think doctors want children to be vaccinated because they have a, a fiduciary benefit from no. having somebody come in. You know what will be also uh, missed. And um, I think uh, Vicki made the comment, parents are kind of forced to take their children in for checkups because they have to get their vaccines, which are required. But when they come in for those health checkups, that's when all the interventions are, right. are done. So we notice if the child is failing to thrive. We notice the developmental issues. And here with the pandemic, we will notice that the adolescent is having some mental health issues, which we know right. is almost... Uh, a epidemic in itself right now. And so if children are not required to come into the doctor, and Vicki, you were right when a lot of times parents will say, oh, I just don't have time to, to take my kid in as their only excuse for signing a paper that says to the daycare, and they wouldn't even have to do that, to say, I'm not getting the vaccines because my philosophical, rather than that it was, I just didn't have time to do it. And so those opportunities will be missed to bring the child in to assess all the other health issues, particularly the mental health and developmental issues for children. One of the things I, uh, I had a father who, his child 
I think it was a custody thing, but he brought the child in and I said, well, you know, we really need to update his vaccines. He hasn't been in for a while. And it was like looking at his watch and he goes, well, you know, I really need to go. And I said, well, you'll probably have a form because school has already been in for several months. He's seventh grade. He has mandatory shots. He goes, I'll just sign some philosophical paper that I don't have to do it. I don't have time today. And I really said, that's not a good reason to allow your child to have to catch meningitis to I did go into the catch cancer down the road um, to catch um, any of the, the whooping cough and tetanus. And the father just was going to decline the vaccines merely because he didn't have time that day. And we did get it done, by the way. Um, but there are lots of parents who um, in their attempt to take care of their children and they are good hearted and they're, the father was there, he brought them in, but then, there's just so much that people can do. And so uh, having the opportunity to go into the doctor because you have to have a form signed is actually a very good reason to bring them into the doctor. Well, it's certainly going to turn doctors into bad guys, quote unquote, isn't it? I mean, you already had to play that role. We do that. To a certain, I mean, and, and right. you probably do already to a yeah. certain degree. Oh, but for years please. we've been spending um, lots of times, you know, uh, educating the parents, trying to not be the bad guy. Yeah. And they've talked to pediatricians um, I'm a strong advocate for vaccinating children. I'm a strong advocate for um, not having um, families who uh, don't vaccinate their children to come to our office. Uh, and I've done this in multiple practices that I've been because most practices take care of uh, high-risk patients, immunocompromised patients, infants, babies who haven't had a chance to start or complete their vaccines. So if our waiting room is full of patients who don't vaccinate, I'm risking my other patients. And I, I think those families have a right, a freedom to uh, protect their children from vaccine-preventable diseases. So we, um, at our um, office, we do tell parents that if they choose not to follow our recommendations for vaccinating, uh, that they need to provide another uh, um, health care provider. We actually give them a list of people in the communities, and there are plenty of doctors who will follow, but um, uh, we choose, uh, since we are uh, experts in what we do, and we strongly believe in vaccines, and we cannot risk our patients who uh, are at great risk of catching diseases in the waiting room. That's how uh, contagious they are. So that's a strong statement. Um, declining to have people to come to your office. Um, but we allow them to make their choice, but we do not allow them to risk our patients. So, um, And that's not even always followed by all the pediatricians, but because the medical centers very often are following the most complex children, um, it makes it a little harder for us to allow a large influx of patients who are not vaccinated, who could be contagious to our patients, to be in our waiting rooms exposing our children. Well, and it... it- it seems like it gets to that, the, what you just said, prevent, pr- prevent getting a disease that is curable, that is vaccine that preventable. Can, yes. I mean, it seems like that's common sense. Well, and it also feels as though, again, going back to it, this passage, if it does, okay, so all of a sudden you have these practices that are anti-vaxxer practices and vaxxer practices. Yeah. My gosh. And I mean, you, you, you know, and that's about not that's, what you want. No. You want to be able to talk to families. And, you know, somehow wow. this has gotten very politically charged when it really is an issue right. about health care right. and public health. And, you know, I have friends who've decided to homeschool their kids because they felt very strongly about not vaccinating until a later age. 
Um, they were worried about side effects and development and those kinds of things. And if you want to do that, I think that's fine. If that's your choice to do that. But, but if you've ever seen a baby with whooping cough, um, it is one of the more, I mean, I've seen a lot of things in my 30 some years has been working in pediatric health. It is one of the more heart-wrenching things that I think I've ever seen, and and it's it can be deadly, you know. And so I think that's the thing. Like I, you know, I had somebody say, "Well, chickenpox isn't deadly. It, it can be. Flu can be deadly. Flu is very deadly in kids." So you know, it's easy to say that. I had somebody say to me recently, "Well, COVID's not that bad." Well, you know, I had several friends who died from COVID. So. Yes. You know, why would we take that chance is always, is my view. And, but I want to be respectful of other people's views. I want to be respectful of other people's fears. What I would rather is that we could have conversations that aren't politically charged. Right. Right. And, and when you're really looking at something like this pandemic and actually all of these curable illnesses with vaccines are global. This is not just Ohio. This is not just the United States. We're a real small number of people in this whole global world. And if we're not controlling it in our world, just think how in in areas that you can't even get to. You can't even get the vaccine to these people. And one of the things I wanted to throw in about Ohio, we already have the most uh, a very lenient vaccine policy. Uh, A lot of states don't have a philosophical reason to decline the vaccines. Ohio already has a philosophical. Parents don't have to get a medical statement that says from the doctor um, that they're philosophic, that they're refusing the vaccines already. We just ask them to show to the schools and the schools can decide if they want to allow the child to be admitted. But Ohio already has a very lenient policy about vaccines required for for school. We uh, have the lowest, some of the lowest vaccine rates in the country. And what has happened in the past year uh, with the pandemic, the vaccination rate has declined 50% across the United States in just the last year. So if we have a more broad uh, allowance of not vaccinating, that vaccine rate will go even further down, even faster. So um, I think people don't realize that what a difference a year has already made. This will open up a Pandora's box of even more um, diseases De- rising De- again. Devastation. Devastation, absolutely. I, I mean, we're, you know, how can we be so concerned about our children if in actuality we're not making sure they're healthy is beyond, beyond me. So let's get to sort of get back to our our. This discussion has been phenomenal. Thank you so much. Back to my next question regarding how to let ourselves be known about this. I really think that the what's happening with the anti-vaxxers is, you know, a few people are talking really, really loud and all the rest of us sort of throw up our hands and say, oh, they're kind of crazy. Nobody's going to pay attention to them. And they do. Legislators do pay attention. Um, I, I just wanted to remark, I heard a story on the news this morning, the hospital in Texas, um, where they were requiring all of their staff to be vaccinated. And 170 some said no. And that sounds like a lot, but it was actually only 1% of their uh, population of employees that said no. But there are healthcare professionals, and, and so they were looking at it from the perspective of, their job is to keep patients safe, just as your waiting room should not be full of kids without vaccines. Um, so I, I want to make sure that our audience has 
a clear idea on what that this is so important. Even if you don't have children or grandchildren, this is important for generations of of making sure that um, longer lives are possible in in um, the U.S. We've been so excited about the fact that you know people are living into their nineties and hundreds. Well, if they die when they're two, that's not going to happen. So, um, Vicky, tell give us some tips. We don't want to be just a squeaky wheel. We want to make sure that we can get our information across to our legislators. Yeah, I, I, it's a great point. I, you know, I think if you're a member of a community, doesn't matter whether you have kids or not. If you want to, if you own a business and you want to hire people in the future, you got to make sure they're they're healthy and they're well educated. I mean, that's you know, to me, it just is um, what if we want our future to be bright, what we have to do. So I think everybody should be a citizen lobbyist. You know, uh, when I told my mom I was uh, leaving my full-time job as a hospital administrator to do this work full-time, she said, don't tell anybody you're a lobbyist, you know, because she's like, you know, everybody says that's the swamp. Lobbyists are great. They're a part of our political structure from the very beginning. And really all it means is that you're speaking out on behalf of. That's really all it means. And so we should be citizen lobbyists. The most important step, Register to vote. If you're not mm, registered to vote, you have no right to say you anything. Don't pick up the phone because yes. because honestly, the people in those offices were voted by an electorate, and if you weren't part of it, eh, you know. So I always say and, that, and you don't have to vote for the person you're calling, no, but you no, had no, to no, have no. voted. Exactly. That's right. I and you don't. I mean, you don't have to have voted to call them, but be a part of the process. Right. Is my right. point. Yeah. And once you've exercised that privilege. The next step is to know who your representatives are. And it's super easy. You can call the Board of Elections if you want. Or you can, you know, as my mom says, use the Google. And, uh, you know, it's um, you just go to OhioHouse.gov or OhioSenate.gov, put in your address, and it tells you who they are, mm-hmm. gives you their address, their email address, and their phone number. And so once you have that, you know, Pick up the phone, shoot them an email, and tell them what you think. Share your voice in a positive, constructive way. You know, make it personal. So, in other words, I'm Vicki. I live in your district, and I'm a parent. I'm a grandparent. I care about this issue because. And tell them you're for it, not for it. Ask them where they where they stand on it. Um, almost every legislator has a coffee or open house in the district, um, and it's published on their website or somewhere, go to it. Ask them a question. Say to them, I live in your district. How do you feel about vaccines? How do you feel about public health? How do you feel about, uh, you know, I've even asked one, how do, you, how do you use science in the decisions that you make? So, so, I mean, those are the kinds of things that you can do. When you do engage with them, remember it's a really hard job. You know, somebody said to me, Poli- you know, I, you know they're, they're dumb. I don't want to call them. Well, that's not true. You know, they, they're doing a job. They were elected by someone. Enough people thought they were good at this to, to elect them. Show them that respect, you know, and make sure that you're positive. You know, if you want political discourse to be positive and, and, and uh, productive, th- then you need to be that way as well. Um, you know, my dad used to say, uh, you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. And, uh, you know, I think if uh, you're silent when things are happening and then you're upset about it, you're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. So so we we need to be vocal. And the thing the other thing I would say is 
I think we get the government we deserve. And so, frankly, if you're not engaged in it, you know, and somebody will say, well, why did they do that? Because the people who were engaged in it pushed for that. Right. And so right now there's a lot of people who are silent thinking, oh, they'll never do that. Well, you know, it, they they keep count. I mean, I had a legislator tell me a couple of weeks ago that they had more calls supporting this legislation than they had had on anything else. They said nobody's calling to say they don't support it. And when I talked to people, they would say, well, they're never going to do that. We need to let our voices heard. Mm-hmm. So as of yesterday, they had gotten over 2,000 emails and phone calls saying they don't support it. And they were people from Ohio. Right. Some of the folks, you know, sometimes on these issues are not from Ohio. And they're they're shaping policy for us who live here. Let's be vocal. Right. All you have to do, Dr. Greer Doobie said, what did you do? You called and said what? Oh, well, I called and just said I'm... Uh, Sarah Guerrero Doobie and I live in Oakland, Ohio and I oppose House Bill 248. Thank you for all of that you're doing. I usually do thank them, mm-hmm. uh, just so that I'm nice. And, uh, the it's a aide, lot of work. Right, That's right. It is. The mm-hmm. aide that answered the phone said thank you and you could almost hear the pencil just making a hatch tag. They just want to know what your view is, where you live, and it was very quick. And see, I think a lot of people think it doesn't matter, but it does matter. They count. You know, they, they, they know. They count votes. And they count calls and they count emails. And so we can't expect them to vote for things that influence, that, that are for us if we're not engaged. And I think it, that's appropriate for all levels of government. That's if you, exactly right. Your county commissioners, same mm-hmm. thing. If you don't like what's going on in your part of the woods. <laughs> right. Right. I was on Call. city council. I was the mayor and vice mayor and I would go to the grocery store and people would stop me and say, you know, we got to fix that. And I took that to heart because they're my neighbors. They're my community. They're the people I represent. I live here too. And that's the other thing I would say. They live in your area. They're not, they're not making lots of money. There's a misperception that elected officials have, you know, these jobs and they're making, that's not true. They live in your community. So make sure they reflect you. Um, to, to be a little more specific too. Because this is in the Ohio House right now, so it's most important to talk to your House Absolutely. representative. But should you also go ahead and talk to your Senate Absolutely. representative, because the, the governor's office and everybody else? Because it, if it is voted out of the House, it would go to the Ohio Senate. And then ultimately it lands on the governor's desk, who, by the way, has been an incredible advocate for kids from yeah. the time he was uh, a U.S. senator to today. Regardless of politics, I always say, uh, you know, when it comes to kids' health, I'm for who's for us. And, and, and there are elected officials right now who are for us as meeting kids, and he certainly is one, as are many of the members of the House and the Senate. But, yeah, you got to let them all know. Right. You know, and you call the Senate and you say, you say you're a senator in this community where, you know, we're broadcasting from. It's Senator Bob Hackett. And you say, Senator Hackett, I want you to know I'm concerned about this legislation in the House. And I want to know where you stand on this. Right. Well, we've got the nation watching us, too. That's right. I mean, right. There, oh, there, yeah. are, there are templates being made from what's going on here. There's a lot of this. This is a national push. It's a national movement. And they brought it to Ohio because they thought there was a, an environment for that. Right. And they, you don't have to contact all of the representatives. No, nope, just yours. Just your own. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, as we usually do with when we're able to with our episodes, we provide resource sheets. Uh, now, obviously, there is a lot of voices out there pushing against the anti-vax movement. But 
Uh, Sarah, do you have some specific information, websites, research that we can provide listeners? Well, I'm always uh, telling parents that they need to educate themselves. And that's really the most important thing. And uh, they'll come with something on their cell phone and they'll show me uh, just an article or something. And I usually tell them, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics maintains a website, healthychildren.org is sponsored by the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's geared for parents. Uh, the handouts that I brought today are, are written for parents. They have lots of questions. You just type in your question, and they can answer and provide the information that the pediatricians follow. I um, strongly recommend the CDC. I know uh, sometimes uh, nationally the CDC, especially with the pandemic, uh, has gotten uh, a bad uh, reputation, uh, probably just because people were angry and they needed to be angry at someone. I love Dr. Fauci, but um, I'm one of his groupies. But um, I always tell people the CDC's information is science-based. I actually am the last uh, 2019 um, was the last year that the CDC gave out their state awards for immunization champions, and I'm Ohio's last uh, immunization champion for 2019. They were kind of busy in 2020 and 21 <laughs> with well, the pandemic. Then. Oh, oh, yeah. oh then so they, that's so right. They weren't, that's right. They yeah. weren't giving yeah. out awards, yeah. but, you know, I'm a strong believer in the science behind all the websites that are uh, on the CDC, so I tell parents to go there. Um, and you can find the good information and not just typing in a question on Google that says, uh, are vaccines safe? Because right. uh, by who clicks, the anti-vaxxer information comes up first. So going to healthychildren.org or uh, the CDC to get good information uh, is what I tell parents. And, and I think part of our message is you may not like the answer. That doesn't make it wrong. You know, that's, I think, what, what is a, a lot of what's happening is because, you know, the, the dad was too busy to get the kid vaccine. It, it's like it's it, science is in our way of living our lives, but that's not true. Well, and I think, you know, the research shows that, that women spend more time choosing a doctor for their children than they do for themselves. I mean, that's the research. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell, you know, my daughter has, you know, I have two incredibly smart, wonderful, bright gorgeous grandchildren yes they are the smartest best ever oh sure yeah Absolutely. so Absolutely. i tell i tell my daughter's friends who ask me these questions you have spent an enormous amount of time choosing a pediatrician go to them talk to them listen to them and 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 <laughs> and air your concerns right. you know we can't this is not about shaming parents this is about educating parents and so i encourage them to go to their doctors another website for folks who are interested in good policy is the um Health Policy Institute of Ohio. It's healthpolicyohio.org, and they are nonpartisan, and they advise legislators, governments, and entities about all kinds of topics. And they produce something called the Ohio Health Value Dashboard every year. And I'm, it's a, really a composite performance measure of how Ohio shapes up in, in terms of health and healthcare spending. And I am sad to say that Ohio is 47th out of 50th right. in health value. I mean, we are um, really saying that Ohio are, is living an unhealthy life and we're spending more on health because of that. And so vaccine, you know, for every dollar you invest in vaccines, you save $10 in healthcare spending. So, so it, you know, it's really about healthcare and quality of life, but it's also about that value for our dollar. It, I was going to point out uh, when you mentioned about that dollar, you know, when kids are sick with vaccine preventable diseases they miss school parents miss work you know the economy the education of our 
uh, future children, all can be negatively affected if we start seeing a rise in vaccine-preventable diseases. So it's not just I'm making a choice. And I know you said that the homeschool parents, sometimes they want to wait until later to get their kids vaccinated. But uh, a lot of times kids end up being sick with something before you get a chance to That's vaccinate right. them. And um, I had, we, we're always told to kind of share a story. And we had a two-week-old who came into the office for their normal well visit. Uh, one of the residents saw the baby and mother didn't realize that the baby felt hot and the baby had 103 fever. Oh my goodness. And so of course that baby was rapidly assessed and admitted to the hospital. If that baby had been two months old or older, we actually would have calmed down a little bit because the first set of vaccines would have probably already been in. We would have known that maybe the baby has a virus, you know, but probably doesn't have some of these things that we are really going to be treating them for when we, like the two week of that we admitted to the hospital. Um, so I think that people don't realize um, the fact that the vaccines can work and it just is totally different on how you manage a child. And it's not just us. The recommendations are such that we have such confidence in the vaccines. The protocols all over the world would say the vaccinated baby would only need this small amount of stuff. And, and probably 99.9% of the time, you're going to be correct in assessing that baby. The unvaccinated baby will have a million more things done, a million more dollars, prolonged hospital stay for the difference of not being vaccinated. So it really is uh, an impact that's not just my choice uh, when my child is homeschooling uh, before they go to school and, and be vaccinated, um, it is impacting uh, the future of Ohio. So this really goes kind of into my last question. And I was laughing with Sarah earlier because the sociologist in me forces me to ask this question without, and I know it's huge and I know we can't <laughs> talk about everything in it today, but um, what's the future of public health going to be? I mean, I have never in my life seen what has happened over the past year and a half in degrading public health officials in in threatening people because they are telling you to wear a mask you know they're just it's uh, i don't know i i i'm i'm still amazed i think if I can just throw in, you know, the fact that everyone is so very happy now that the numbers are going down, realizing that over half of the people in Ohio are vaccinated with COVID, seeing the disease and the death going down. I'm hoping that people will look back and say, you know, what were we thinking uh, that mm -hmm. this really is very good? So I'm hoping that uh, the proof will be in the pudding or whatever the saying is, that they'll see the benefit that vaccination did allow us to open back up open up a lot of the things that are normal life that we want. And so I'm hoping that that will prove to people that the public health policies um, are for their benefit and, and not to take their freedom away. And I just want to throw in, DeWine has done a wonderful job with this state. Um, I had friends from other states who commented all along that uh, Ohio was doing a good job. And um, political views aside, you know, I agree. He has always been for kids and um He's a big supporter of the reading programs, as Mrs. DeWine is. Um, and so they've always been for kids, and he's just done a bang-up job. And I really want to compliment and any of the um, – Dr. Acton, uh, she's also another one of my heroes. I want one of her bobbleheads. I don't have yes. one. <laughs> I, I have a Fossey bobblehead. There you but, Oh, my gosh. But really? these are my heroes. And so um, he did a good job, and I just wanted to throw that out there. And, and I, I think in watching how – Governor DeWine approached the, the, the science of the pandemic 
was inspirational, really, for a lot of other people, too. He really looked at the science, and so you have to give him credit, absolutely, for, for what he did in controlling, because as bad as Ohio is in terms of our health concerns, it could have been a lot worse. We could have been in real trouble, and we avoided a lot of it, which is probably why people think it wasn't important to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really the catch 22. I mean, I think Dr. Guerrero Duby said it best. You know, it's, if, you know, public health is always one of those things where if you're wildly successful, nobody appreciates you. Exactly. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because, well, what were we all upset about? But if you eat at a restaurant and you get a coli, I, I mean, you know, we, we have to remember that, that there's a lot of public health outside of the pandemic. You know, they are keeping us safe with food inspections and all, you know, lead inspections. And I get why people don't necessarily trust government institutions. You know, you think about, you know, the water situation in Michigan where people were lied to, but those are rare. That's why we read about them. And most public health officials are screaming from the mountaintops. And even in those situations, you had good, solid public health people who were saying, wait a minute, this isn't right. I also think that for some reason, you know, uh, we've given uh, people some sort of permission to be the worst versions of themselves in public. And I'm, I'm not sure why. I'm not blaming anybody. It's just something that has happened. And, and to uh, threaten any public official for any reason just because you disagree with them, you know, to me, it's just, uh, it may, it's, it's, you know, my, you know, it's not good manners. It's not good community. It's not. So it doesn't, it doesn't further matter. anything. Well, it doesn't further anything. And I think what happens is, you know, it keeps really good people from running for office yes. or serving in those right? spots. Because oh, absolutely. Who would want that, right? Well, and so and then you end up with people who aren't qualified, who aren't the best. And again, we get the government we deserve. So if we're going to get really great people in those roles and really great government, we really need to understand it's a hard job. They they don't get paid what they could in the public sector or it's in the private 24/7. sector. And it's twenty four seven. And even if you disagree with them, let, let's let's find a way to have discourse in in a way that is respectful of one another. You you don't nobody needs to shout. And none of those people had bad intentions. None of them. Even I, I don't believe most vaccine opponent, opponents have bad intentions. They just believe fervently in what they believe. Well, and if they're only hearing from constituents that say one thing, right. They don't know that well, there's right. anybody else over on the other side. So I, I think to, we all have to take a step back and look at ourselves and say, what role can we play in this? And, right. and, and call people out when it's bad behavior and just say, look, we all got to be in this together. Right. Well, and um, although we're here in Dayton today, I, I do have to give a shout out, shout out to Columbus Public Health and Franklin County Public Health, who, that, who did a great job. And actually, we had a guest from Columbus Public mm-hmm. Health, Rebecca Nelson, who's one of their communications folks who, who came in and did a wonderful podcast with us earlier this year on, on what's going on and all that they do. And stating the facts, just who you were talking yeah. about, that when it goes well, everybody knows about it. When it goes bad, everybody, I mean, oh, it just, yeah. that, that's the dilemma. That scenario. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And most public yeah. health people don't want you to know their name. They really want no. to just do their <laughs> yeah. work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Sarah, Vicki, thank you so much for being with us today. I think thank you. For, uh, for me especially, it gave a lot of light to what this house bill is all about. And, and I hopefully it does as well for our listeners too, to act upon it with your own conscience. I guess when it comes down to it, think about it, be educated about it. It, it is a choice we have to make. And, 
And don't be part of the silent majority. Right. Yes. You know, yes. go, you know, go do something about and it. If you can, and if yeah. you think that, that that legislator is doing a really bad job, then run for office. And, oh, that's, that's a great idea. true. <laughs> true, too. Yeah, you yeah. vote and make sure you are registered to vote and vote. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. There you go. Well, and, and we want to give a special thanks to um, our, our presenting sponsor, I guess you could say today, uh, WordBridge Now, uh, yes. being part of their summer celebration here in uh, in Dayton and uh, first annual. So we know it's going to continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And hopefully the owner will ask us back. Well, and I think we've already I asked hope. the owner to do a podcast with us. So that's coming up. That's here in true, a, too. So in a month so or we'll so. See. so. We'll see. Exactly. <laughs> Since we have an in with the owner. Yes, so, we do. Yes, we do. Yeah. Sarah and, and Vicki, thank you very much. This I know you're busy and I know this has been crazy. Um, Sarah's giving testimony here pretty soon to the Ohio legislators. Yes, um, I get to follow uh, last week's supporters of the uh, legislation uh, on Tuesday. I'll be there at 10 o'clock and... Um, this will probably be broadcast this, after. Yes. But yes. um Vicky's gonna be by my side and I will be brief, I hope, mm-hmm. uh that I won't be on CNN or <laughs> anything after that. Well, if they if they let me into the chamber, I'll be out there going woo woo. Yes, you know, I go want, Sarah. I want Carol there with me <laughs> in, in addition to Vicky and anybody else. Though I'm not sure why I'm the one doing this and not some of the other infectious disease specialists at the uh, Children's uh, Hospital. I think you're the perfect person. No, so we're absolutely. excited about it. And we've given you pra- practice today. Uh, you did. You right. did give me there practice. you go. There Thank you, go. you so much. Yeah. I so appreciate that. So for our audience, um, we're going to have lots of information for you, and we're going to be publishing this timely. So um, you can will have time to get to your legislators and talk to them about House Bill 248 and whatever it ends up being in the Senate if it if it's passed over to the Senate and and to the governor's office. So thank you both very much for being with us today. We appreciate your time, effort, expertise, and hopefully you'll come back with good news with us sometime. I hope so. And don't forget, get your, don't pass up the chance to get your shot. Yes. 